Everybody knows that God answers prayer. Oh, come on. If he answered a prayer, you ought to be a little bit more excited about that. Because if you prayed about it, that means you couldn't have figured it out by yourself. So if he answered a prayer, it was something you couldn't have done by yourself. So does God answer prayers? Yes. Amen. University, I'm so excited about this uh, preaching series. We've been on forgiveness. It's been eye-opening to say the least. If you can go to the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. The book of Matthew, 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. The book of Matthew, 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter, I want to read it for you really quickly. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do, not, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That's a lot of times, Jesus. I got to forgive somebody. <laughs> Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and pay it to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him only a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, Pray, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused it and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debts because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also, my heavenly father will do, do to every one of you. If you forgive me, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, for the time next mine this morning, I want to work from the topic. Just forgive them. Turn to your neighbor. Look him in the eye. Just forgive him. Just forgive him. Turn to the next one. Just forgive him. Some of y'all don't want to turn because you know you don't want to forgive him. Y'all know exactly who him is, right? The reality is today in America is that so many of us um, have the ability to carry a grudge. I know some people that have masters and PhDs in grudge carrying. They've been carrying grudges for as long as they've been alive. Some people can tell you about a grudge that came out in 76, got amplified in 78, 88 at the Thanksgiving dinner. They said something that really took it over the top. It's now 2016, and you've been working that grudge over for 44 years. The reality is, is that when, I, when, when you don't forgive, it affects you. 
I've come to the conclusion and mark that the biggest issue with Christianity is not so much the legalism. Because we have enough people that can do the legalistic part of the faith. I don't swear, I don't curse, I don't do this, I don't do that. But they never lived fully, fully lived lives. The reason they never lived fully lived lives is because they don't have the undergirding principles. I believe this is what Jesus was firmly saying in his ministry when he would compare people to the Pharisees. You can do all you want to do. You can follow all rules, 613 of them, but you still didn't find Jesus. So there are people that are as pious as pie, but have no connection to God. This week I'm wrapping up on forgiveness. Next week I'm going to get into gratitude because I believe so many believers don't understand how to be grateful for where God is moving in their life. They're so frustrated with what's out there so far that they don't understand what God is doing right here. It's one of the tragic things when you miss a blessing because you're looking at another thing. But today we're going to talk about forgiveness. The reality with forgiveness is that it's multifaceted. You've got to forgive on a couple of different levels. The first level you have to do, you have to be able to forgive yourself. So many of us walk around with shame, guilt, despising part of ourselves because we can't forgive ourselves. I know it happened 15 years ago, but you haven't let it go yet. I know it happened 20 years ago. You still haven't let it go. That relationship went wrong a long time ago, but your new relationships are haunted by what you feel inside. The other person is, the other thing is you can't forgive other people. In the book of Ruth, she starts off by saying, call me Mara because there's a bitter root inside of me. That hate, that frustration, that thing inside of you is killing you. You know, but you might not realize it, but everybody around you does. You're cynical. You're bitter. You're critical. You're standoffish. You don't trust. You can't care. You don't have that empathy. You don't have any sympathy. You're scared to live your life. So many of us can't forgive other people that we become trapped in what it is. I see, Ken, I had, a, had an issue with this because I was like, we got to first understand what the definition of forgiveness is. Because I think we get so caught up in, do I forgive them? Do they like me? Do they? That's not what it is. Let me tell you what forgiveness not is. It's not condoning. Failing to deceive action is wrong and in need of forgiveness. It's not excusing. Not holding, not holding the offender as responsible for the action. It's not forgetting, removing awareness of the offense from consciousness. It's not pardoning, granted by a representative of society. So you pardon them for their sins. Or it's not reconciliation, restore, restoration of relationship. You see, we, we mix those words up. So when we say we forgive, we're, we're looking for it to be a two-way street. I want you to, I want to forgive you, and you say, oh, that's good. That's not forgiveness. That's approval. 
That's not forgiveness. The reality is, in life, people are going to do some horrible things to us. They are going to do some things that are undescribable. They're going to do something that will rip our very souls apart. But we've got to forgive them. Because the reality is, if I don't forgive them, I am now a prisoner of that person's sin. I now have gone in a cage built around their harm to me. I now limit my life because I haven't forgiven that person. So now I have the bitter root built into my very soul. Because forgiveness is the intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change of feelings and attitude regarding the offense. Let's go of the negative emotions such as vengefulness with an increased ability to wish the offender well. How many of us really do that when we forgive? You see, I love my siblings, but when I forgive them, I want them to apologize. Am I the only one? My, anybody got brother sister in here? When you say I forgive you, what you want them to say? I forgive you too. That's not how it works. <laughs> because true forgiveness is me on the inside working it out so I can forgive them. I can let it go. I can say that I've let it go. It's such a hard thing to do, though. Oh, I wish I could. I wish I could say this is easy. I wish the pastor said he could do it perfectly. Sometimes it takes me months to get to that point. Yes, sir. It does. Sometimes it takes a lot of prayer. Some of us, it might take a decade or better. <laughs> Y'all know what it is. <laughs> but the reality is, is that we have to forgive. I love this text. It's, it's one of those, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because Peter goes to Jesus with a profound, trying to be profound. I love when people ask profound questions because they want to get their own answer, right? How many times do I need to forgive you? Seven times. That sounds like a good amount. Right? I give you Mike's in the hand. Seven times. I'm going to forgive you seven times. On the eighth time, I'm going to hate you and despise you. But Jesus' answer is, let me give you 77 times. Anybody here think they can forgive somebody 77 times? You're good. <laughs> the reality is, is I don't think most of us have that level of patience. I don't even understand why you give somebody 77 times. We might call that enabling if we want to put a psychological label around it. It's called enabling, amen. But then Jesus goes right into this story, and I want to look at three points. Three points. I'm take a step back. The first thing he does is there's no limit to how much we must forgive. He tells the story of a servant that owes 
a lifetime of fortune. And he goes before a king. And the king forgives him. What we're talking about here is Jesus forgiving us. See, the problem with modern society is that so many of us get our concepts mixed up. Because there's this thing called synchronism, which you mix religions so you get certain concepts that cross religious lines. But you've got to understand, the Christian faith is the only one that says you will be forgiven. Don't believe me? Animism says there's no awareness of personal relationship with God. Hinduism says we have to pay the consequence of karma. Anybody heard of karma before? So I do bad, I'm going to come back as a cockroach. That's why I've got a cross. <laughs> Buddhism. I'm just trying to get to inner purification. There's no forgiveness there. Islam says I give alms, but it doesn't really truly forgive me. It just sort of gets me where I need to go. And Judaism looks at our forgiveness in the maybe future. The reality is as a believer and child of God, you are totally forgiven. Yes, sir. So the lie you told um, on yesterday, whatever you did in college, whatever sin you have in your heart, Jesus forgives you. But you have to understand how that really looks. Sister Thorne, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. You know, we use this big word in communion called propitiation for our sins. He is basically the replacement. So when God looks at me, he's not looking at my brokenness. He's not seeing Coloma. He's seeing Jesus. That's why he is the atoning lamb for all we do. So once we understand that no matter what we do, we are forgiven, then we should be able to forgive others. Right? Yes, sir. The problem with so many of us is that if we be honest, we are just like the servant. I came to church, I've been forgiven, but I'm going to judge everybody else. For something so little, so much less than what I did. Because nobody knows everybody's total story, but if somebody even pisses you off with a little thing, you're going to write them off. But that big sin that nobody else knows about, Jesus forgave you. We have to learn to say, you know what, God? I might not have the capacity right now to forgive them, but let me pray so I can start forgiving them. Because I understand we're human, but what we should never do is persecute or, or, or prosecute the other person. Because yes, if I ever have the feeling of unforgiveness, I need to live it on Jesus. Jesus, I know you forgave me. Can you fill me with that same capacity to forgive this other person? Remember, he said, you don't have to figure it out yourself. You don't have to figure it out yourself. When you get to that moment with that person and you're in your mind and you have that despair or despise or disgust, that's when you have to lean in on Jesus. Because we don't have the capacity. 
But too many of us would work that, that grudge over in our head. Instead of leaning it on God. The final thing, the final thing is, is where does unforgiveness get me? That gets you in a jail. Well, that's first. That's first makes it plain. It says that the king called the servant back after he persecuted the other servant, and he put him in a jail. Now, metaphorically, so many of us are in a jail today. Because our unforgiveness has trapped us. The Bible says it. The baggage we carry has trapped us and held us in a place that we don't want to be. The sad part is, is that we have an answer. All I have to do is bring it to Jesus. All I have to do is lean it on him. I don't even need to interact with the person. I just need to work with Jesus. Because I can't do it, you can't do it. But in order to forgive that person, you've got to lean on Jesus. Because you'll end up in a jail. One of the saddest things, one of the saddest things, is to see people relive relationships that are 20 years old. One of the saddest things is when people tell me about things that happened in their childhood that they need to let go. It was tragic. It was bad. It was horrible. But if I lean it on Jesus, God, I don't know how I can forgive this person. But I need to forgive them so I can live my life. So I can love a little better. So I don't make this issue generational following children. So I don't go home and have to find something to fill a hole in my soul. Because all this stuff does, if I don't forgive, is keep me in jail. The Bible said it. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. My desire for everybody in this room is that they live in a new freedom. And as much as we want to do freedom to be based on how holy we act, how nice our clothes are, how we look when we walk in the door, how many verses we memorize, how much time we give, until you get this thing in your soul, you'll forever be trapped. Because I need you to know that until you forgive, you're festering inside. You've put yourself in a jail. You've broken down. I know it sounds depressing, but this is the thing. There's hope on the other side. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. So no matter what you're holding on to, you can conquer it. God says he will transform you from the inside out. So you can be a transformed creation as long as you lean on God. He says you're a peculiar people. So it might not come in the same way it came for everybody else, but you can do it. But what I want to encourage you today is start. Is start. Say, God, this pain in my heart from when I was 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever that day in your life was, I need to put it on the altar. I need you to help me find forgiveness.
It's hard. But it's one of those things you need to do. Let's bow our head. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to have angels sing. But I'm going to let you sit as you sing. I'm not even going to do the invitation right now. I don't feel like doing an invitation this week, I think. There's so many of us that need to give up something. Let us pray. Father God, you know what's inside each and every one of these people's hearts. You know that place that they don't have forgiveness. God, I know the person that they have to forgive has done something wrong to them. They've hurt them. It's inexcusable. But God, I'm praying that you come in with a sense of grace right now. Let them be able to let go of that pain. Let them be able to let go of that situation. Let whatever held them back all these years be free and broken. God, I pray that you touch each and every soul, God. That the healing process starts right now. That you move in this place, God. That whether it's from their childhood or their teenage years, whether it's from work or relationship, whether it's from something they did in the dark, whether whatever it is, God, Please let them be able to forgive. Please let them be able to give it up. Please let them leave it in this sanctuary this morning, God. So they can walk out with a new sense of freedom, a new sense of hope, a new sense that God is real in their life. In your holy name.
Oh, I'm not. 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 I